You're raised as an athlete to fight back. So why all of a sudden, when you retire, do you stop the good fight? This is Finding Center with Nick Hardwick. So that's the definition of a free-range chicken. And it gets worse. If the cost of organic feed doubles over conventional feed, the farmer can give these organic chickens conventional feed because they meant well. And I just, I just had a uh, veterinary professor on recently, and it turns out that you've probably seen that a lot of these natural chickens or natural animals have traces of antibiotics in them, which is now against the law to give to chickens and to other animals, except. Hey guys, it's Nick. Hope everyone out there is doing well today. Thank you so much for the time that you've been given the Finding Center podcast. We hope to be giving you some critical information and perhaps inspiration to use on your journey towards health. If you have any recommendations at all or topics or people that you would like us to cover or interview, please DM me at Nick Hardwick or at Finding Center Podcast and I will do my best to get back to you. Any questions as well, I love hearing from you guys. You know, as far as health goes, here's a game I like to play. I like to think about my life in reverse. When I'm in my 80s, 90s, and even into my 100s, that's right, I said it, I'd love to be 100 years old, but only if I can do it with health. I want to be able to look back and know that I did everything possible to stave off neurocognitive decline. I want no regrets. As Dr. David Hazy said on one episode, the difference between being old and being an elder is retaining your wisdom. If we allow ourselves to slip physically, mentally, we are going to struggle as well. And with mental decline, we lose the essence of the person and all of that accumulated wisdom. What a shame. Dr. David Hazy says we should rage against that. I totally agree. If you're new here, the Hardwick family, we've announced a new supplement line with our name on it. It's called Hardwick.life. It's like Hardwick.com, but instead of .com, it's .life. My family has been taking these exact pharmaceutical-grade supplements for several years now. We love what they have provided us. Our philosophy is to do everything within our power today to ensure that we're giving ourselves the best chance possible of living a fulfilling life. Hardwick.life is centered around taking care of the fundamentals of health through an active lifestyle, getting proper nutrition and supplementation to boost our immunity and protection for the areas in our lives that need special attention. My goal is to restore brain health for a lifetime of running into other giant humans over 30,000 times. That's right, 30,000 head hits. That, as well as looking after my heart, which also I'm sure came under some damage being big and then getting small. And I also have a family history of heart disease. Those are vital for me. Jamie's concern is her immunity and her gut health. That's why she loves the foundation life and gut life. Whatever areas of need or concern you have, Hardwick.life has you covered. Be sure to subscribe for 15% off and free shipping. When you do that, you're going to also get access to our simple, family-friendly recipes to help get you started or keep you on track with your health journey. We are Hardwick.life, foundational elements for a fulfilled life. Check us out. And now at Hardwick.life, we've also secured partnerships with some really cool products that may be of interest to you at some really great prices. And try these ones out. 
the greatest meats ever. Seriously, the greatest meats ever. Bel Campo meats. Check out the Anya Fernald podcast. How about this? The Woot Fitness Tracker strap to optimize your training, recovery, and sleep. All of the Julian Bakery products, the great assortment of egg white and grass-fed beef protein products that they have, the PowerDot muscle stimulator for increased performance, and of course, my friends over at Bubs Naturals. Be sure to check out all of these premium products at hardwick.life. Also, guys, you know this. If you follow my stories on Instagram, at Nick Hardwick, then you already know I post almost every meal that I eat. I do it to show that health and maintaining a fit and active body and lifestyle it's no trick, guys. It's consistency, consistently making good choices. One thing I've put into my body consistently since the company was founded in 2017 is Bub's Naturals Collagen Protein and MCT Oil Powder. One way or another, I have used Bub's religiously, daily. I swear by it these days. Since talking to Doc Amon, I have cut out coffee, but I still put the bubs in a protein hot chocolate that has been giving me my morning fix. I love it. It makes it creamier. You're going to love it too. As I know lots of you have taken me up on the recommendation. Jamie swears by it. She has a bit multiple times every single day. No other collagen brand can claim to be 100% NSF certified and donate 10% to charity. That is awesome. If you're in the San Diego area, Bub's products are now available at all Barron's markets. Stop in and pick some up today and see how conveniently health can fit into your life. If you don't have a Barron's near you or don't want to go to the store right now, I get it. Order it online at bubsnaturals.com. That's bubsnaturals.com. Use the code HARDWICK20 for 20% off that order at bubsnaturals.com. Hey gang, how the hell are you today? I hope you're having a fantastic one. So joining us today on the Finding Center podcast is New York Times bestselling author of The Plant Paradox, Dr. Stephen Gundry. So most of us is, have heard of gluten. It's a protein found in wheat that causes inflammation in the body. Americans spend billions of dollars on gluten-free diets in an effort to protect their health. We see it everywhere, but what if we've been missing the root of the problem? In The Plant Paradox, renowned cardiologist Dr. Stephen Gundry argues that gluten is just one variety of a common and highly toxic plant-based protein called lectin. Lectins are found not only in grains like wheat, but also in gluten-free foods most of us commonly regard as healthy, including many fruits, vegetables, nuts, beans, and conventional dairy products. These proteins, which are found in the seeds, grains, skins, rinds, and leaves of plants, are designed by nature to protect them from the predators, I guess, including humans. Once ingested, they incite a kind of chemical warfare in our bodies, causing inflammatory reactions that can lead to weight gain and serious health conditions. At his waitlist-only clinics in California, Dr. Gundry has successfully treated tens of thousands of patients suffering from autoimmune disorders, diabetes, leaky gut syndrome, heart disease, neurodegenerative diseases with a protocol that detoxes the cells, repairs the gut, nourishes the body. He joins us today to share with us what he has learned through all of the years in the medical field. Welcome to the show, Dr. Stephen Gundry. Doc, if you don't mind, give me a little background. Give me a little bio. How'd you get to where you're at? How'd you get to the plant paradox? And just talk us through that a little bit. Sure. Um, uh, how quick? <laughs> so, uh, as much time as you need. So interestingly enough, back in the dark ages, I, as an undergraduate at Yale University, we could... Um, design our own major and uh, have a thesis and defend a thesis, kind of like a master's. 
And I had a special major um, called human evolutionary biology, which my thesis was you could take a great ape, manipulate its food supply, manipulate its environment, and you'd prove you'd arrive at a human being. And so I actually did that and defended my thesis and got an honors and then gave it to my parents who live in San Diego and where you played football. That's and right. So, um, so I went off to become actually a very famous heart surgeon. And a little over 20 years ago now, I was chairman uh, and professor of cardiothoracic surgery at Loma Linda University here in Southern California. And uh, was famous for operating on people who nobody else wanted to, famous for doing baby heart transplants. And so I sent a guy who I call Big Ed, um, from Miami, Florida, who was 48 years old, who had inoperable coronary artery disease. That means everything was so clogged up, you couldn't put stents in, you couldn't do bypass, uh, nothing. And too dangerous. Guy, too dangerous, yeah, and just, it, it wouldn't do them any good. Um, okay. There was no place to put stuff. Um, and so he'd been going around the country um, looking for idiots like myself to, you know, operate on him, take, take him on. And he went to about six different places. And every place he went, uh, everybody said, no, um, can't, can't help you, you know, go, you know, go away. And so he, after about six months of this, arrives at Loma Linda. And I look at him, number one, I call him Big Ed for a reason. He weighed, he weighed 265 pounds when I met him. And it was not muscle. Um, so uh, I looked at his angiogram, the cath cardiac catheterization from six months previous, and I said, you know, I, I really can't help you. I agree with everybody else. I'm sorry to turn you down. He says, well, yeah, everybody says that, but let me tell you what I've been doing. Uh, I've been on a diet, and I've lost 45 pounds in six months. Okay. Now, this is a big guy. So he was, he was at 310, and now he's down to 265. Okay. Exactly. And he says, I've gone to a health food store and I bought all these supplements. And he literally has this big shopping bag full of supplements. And he says, and I've been taking them. And he says, why don't, you know, why don't we get another angiogram and, and let's see what I did. And I'm going, well, you know, good for you for losing weight, um, but that's not going to do anything about this. And I know what you did with all those supplements. You made expensive urine. I firmly believed that back then. And he said, well, come on, you know, Come all this way. So we get a new angiogram. And in six months' time, this guy's cleaned out 50% of the blockages in his coronary arteries. Gone. Six months' time. Now, you know, I've never seen anything like that before. I've seen it a lot since. But uh, that, you know, so flabbergasted me. I said, well, wait, wait a minute. I said, you know, tell me about this diet you've been on. So he starts talking about it, and I went, oh, wait, time out. I said, this is my thesis from, from Yale University about, you know, what we ate. And so I called my folks, and they say, hey, you know, you still got my thesis? And they said, oh, yeah, you know, it's here in the shrine. Um, <laughs> I, I said, you know, send it up to me. So I, it's actually up in the shelf here. Okay. So um, now, and then I said, let me look at these supplements. So I'm going through the supplements and I'm 
famous for keeping hearts alive in a bucket of ice water for 48 hours for heart transplants by putting stuff down veins and arteries of the heart to protect the heart. And um, he's swallowing a lot of the things that I was putting intravenously into hearts to keep them alive. And it never occurred for me to swallow the dumb stuff. So why it's, why it's so poignant is that at that time, uh, despite running 30 miles a week, going to the gym one hour a day, I was 70 pounds overweight. I was a Clydesdale runner. You know, that's... Oh, yeah. <laughs> fat guy who runs. What is it? Clydesdale's like over 220 or 225 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I, I was 228, yeah. So, um, and I had arthritis, I had migraine headaches, I had high blood pressure, pre-diabetes, high cholesterol, and I was told it was all genetic because my father was the same way. Okay. And how old were you at this point? So I was uh, just shy of 50, so about okay. 40, about, about big Ed's age. So I, uh, I actually put myself on my Yale program and I started taking up bunch of supplements. When I started sending my blood work off to a University of California, Berkeley, uh, to their lipid lab, and within three months, uh, dramatic changes. Uh, no more high blood pressure, no more prediabetes, no more arthritis, no more migraine headaches, cholesterol normalized. And I started losing weight. I lost 50 pounds my first year. And so I started, the people who I operated on uh, I would put them on this program after I operated on them. And uh, the results were equally impressive. So after about a year of doing this at Loma Linda, I looked in the mirror one day and I said, you know, I've got this all wrong. I shouldn't operate on people first and then put them on this program. I should put them on this program first and I probably won't have to operate on them. Now, talk about a dumb career move. Um, I mean, that's really stupid. Um, <laughs> you're, you're working yourself out of business. Yeah, I actually, you know, put myself out, out of business. So I actually resigned my position and set up uh, an institute in Palm Springs that I treated, still do, as a research project. And I said, anybody who comes in here, I'm going to ask you to not eat certain foods. I'm going to ask you to eat certain foods. I'm going to send you to Trader Joe's or Costco and get some supplements. There wasn't in the Amazon back then. And every three months, we're going to get blood work that insurance will pay for, and we'll you know, see what happens. And so that's, uh, and I started publishing my results with the American Heart Association, for example, American College of Cardiology, and the rest is history. So uh, that. So who gave Big Ed the prescription for all the supplements that he was taking? How did he figure out what to take? He went to the health food store and just says, hey, this, this looks cool. Uh, he, it was really hilariously willy-nilly, but uh, looking back, it's like, wow, you know, how, you know, how did he know to pick these? Oh, God, that's, it's, it's remarkable, kind of, that yeah. somebody, and, and I guess it's, 
it's kind of just the pass down. Hey, we think this is good for you. This may have come from Eastern medicine and, and they had yeah. stories that kind of anecdotal evidence that backed it yeah, all when, up. You know, when, you know, when anyone walks into a health food store and says, you know, I want to do such and such a thing, a lot of very talented, you know, proprietors of health food stores uh, have a pretty good idea of what works and what doesn't. And, but he had this big shopping bag full of it. And he took it with him everywhere. He just kind of came into the office and he said, well, yeah, he wanted here's, to show here's me what I've been taking. He, yeah. He says, Look, you know, come on, you know, you know, I, I need a new angiogram. I know you're going to turn me down. And, and what kind of stuff was he on? What was he taking? So for, for instance, uh, things like uh, grapeseed extract, which is still one of my favorite supplements, uh, polyphenols. He was on a lot of polyphenols. He was on okay. cinnamon, for example. He was on alpha-lipoic acid, for instance. Um, those three come to mind right off the top. Did people think you were crazy, by the way, when you stepped down from Loma Linda and you moved out to the desert and you said, I'm, I'm going to start a practice and we're going to treat it as a research facility. Did people think you were crazy? Oh yeah. My wife thought I was crazy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, you know, what is, you know, what a stupid thing to do. Uh, but I mean, you could just, you could see, I mean, you could see people just change. I mean, for example, the, uh, we just celebrated. I still, um, out in Palm Springs, still had a practice in, in heart surgery, but the, the two, you know, I took ER call and people have heart attacks and, you know, you have to patch them up. Yes. But I'll give you a great example. Uh, Ten years ago, we had a gentleman who came in with a big heart attack, had five-vessel coronary artery disease, and terrible narrowings, diabetic. Um, overweight and the morning of the surgery so we're going to take him for a five vessel bypass and the morning of the surgery he's i always see them in the pre-op holding room and you know he's shaking like a leaf and he says i don't think i can do this and i said you know everybody's scared and he said no 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 isn't there any other way around this i i don't think i'm going to come through and I've learned long enough to listen to people who tell me that they're probably not going to make it through surgery. Um, and so I said, well, there is an alternative. I said, you know, if you want to become you know, my best patient and follow the rules, uh, I'll promise you I will never operate on you, nor will I have to. And he said, well, okay. And so we actually just celebrated our 10th year anniversary of him not having an operation. He has normal stress tests. He's not a diabetic anymore. He's on no medications. And uh, he's just another great example of why I do what I do. So what are the, what are the rules? For the heart patients, what are the rules? The rules are actually the same for everybody. That's what's wonderful about it. That's you, great. Yeah, it's kind of a one-size-fits-all. It turns out there's, there's lots of there's lots of theories as to what causes heart disease. Uh, there's lots of theories as to what causes diabetes. There's lots of theories as to what causes autoimmune diseases. And I think Hippocrates actually had the best theory 2,500 years ago. And he said, all disease begins in the gut. And he didn't have the human microbiome project. Uh, he didn't have the human genome project. Um, but uh, he was right. Uh, 
uh, and all disease begins in the gut. It begins with an altered microbiome, all those hundred trillion cells that live in our gut. And it, it uh, comes from a leaky gut. You know, if you had asked me 15 years ago, if you know leaky gut existed, I would have said, boy, is that pseudoscience. And it's like, whoa, you know. Now I can tell you that uh, all diseases uh, have uh, as their underlying process leaky gut. The huge increase in dementia and Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease, with each passing literally month, we're showing that not just me, but lots of other people are showing that all this is caused by leaky gut. And the good thing is if you fix that, uh, all these things, number one, are preventable, but for the most part, they go away. Uh, I became famous in autoimmune disease circles. About 70% of my practice is now autoimmune disease. Uh, and we have uh, a published 94% success rate in reversing autoimmune disease biomarkers, getting people off of immunosuppressants just with uh, food. So that's beautiful. Getting back to your question, um, one of the things that fascinated me early on was these the ways plants try to protect themselves. Um, one of the things that's hard for us to imagine is that plants have a life and they're subject to the same evolutionary pressures that animals are. Uh, the idea is that a plant wants to grow, a plant wants to survive, and a plant wants to make seeds, babies, and make sure that those seeds survive. Uh, plants were on earth uh, long before animals showed up, uh, so they had no predators. When animals showed up and the first animals were insects, plants couldn't run, they couldn't hide, they couldn't fight, but they're biochemists of incredible ability. So they used biologic chemical warfare to prevent being eaten or to make an animal think twice about eating a particular plant. And so one of the compounds that fascinated me were lectins. And lectins are proteins that plants use to make an animal um, hurt, feel pain, get depressed, uh, make leaky gut one of the best ways to produce leaky gut there is and just to keep everybody's interest gluten happens to be a lectin and <laughs> there you go yeah under the under the umbrella of lectins gluten is a type is, of lectin is a type of lectin and okay and everybody's talking about gluten now yeah everybody's it, talking about it. And I recently actually presented a paper in March at the American Heart Association Lifestyle and Epidemiology Annual Conference where we took people who were gluten-free, but eating gluten-free and showed that all of these people had leaky gut and that when we removed their gluten-free foods that contained lectins, that their leaky gut um, subsided. And so those are those are some of the big surprises for people because uh, corn, for instance, about 70% of people who react to gluten uh, cross-react to corn. Um, 
the lectins are present in the nightshade family, potatoes, eggplant, tomatoes, peppers, goji berries of all things. And they are primarily in the peels and the seeds. And I've studied cultures around the world to see why they do what they do. And one of the interesting things about the Italian culture after tomatoes were introduced by their native son Columbus 500 years ago, they peel and de-seed their tomatoes before they make sauce. Uh, the Southwest American Indians always peel and de-seed their peppers before they eat them or grind them into chili peppers. And fun fact, those chili pepper flakes that we all put on our uh, gluten-free pizza <laughs> are actually, were actually discarded from preparing peppers and they were what was thrown away because they were the peels and the seeds. And of course, now everybody sprinkles them on. Yeah. So, but they were, they were the byproduct. So you came about the lectins because people had shut down gluten. And no. How, no, how, did, how did you kind of, how did that come about? So that was actually my Yale University research. So humans did not eat any lectin, major lectin-containing foods until 10,000 years ago when agriculture started. Right. And in, in agriculture, we really for the first time began a, eating grains and beans. And we, we did that for a lot of reasons, but the primary reason is that these are storageable food substances that you can grow during one growing season and then store dried throughout the rest of the year and allows you to you know settle down and not have to wander around you know if if we were still all hunter gatherers we'd be eating each other's dogs and cats every, every day <laughs> wouldn't be very practical <laughs> that's right so what? yeah so in fact, believe it or not uh, humans uh, were actually rather impressive large creatures like yourself 10,000 years ago. We, most, most humans stood over six feet tall. Our brain sizes were actually 15% bigger than they are now. But 2,000 years into agriculture, the average human shrunk uh, about a foot. And um, we, interestingly enough, when, uh, when the pilgrims arrived in the United States, the Indians were so taken aback about these short little, you know, smelly white people. Uh, and the, the Indians were actually pretty impressive, uh, particularly, you know, the, the Indians of the Plains were, could have played pro football very well. Very hardy. Uh, very hardy and very muscular. Anyhow, so that's what actually said, well, you know, what are these compounds that made us really so sick? And, it was the lectins. And interestingly, most cultures have tried to get lectins off of the food. For instance, rice was developed 8,000 years ago. It's one of the early, more recent grains. Four billion people use rice as their staple, and yet four billion people eat white rice. They take the hull off of the rice because the hull contains the lectins. For 10,000 years, we've been trying to make bread white 
And quite frankly, the rich people got the white bread and the poor people got the brown bread because the brown bread contained the lectins. And the rich people wanted the white bread that didn't have as many lectins. And it really when, wasn't, and it wasn't when did it, go, go ahead. ahead. I was gonna say, when did that all switch? About 50 years ago when all of a sudden we were convinced that we should be eating whole grain goodness. And for most of anyone's lifetime, we've been throwing away the whole grain goodness because the halls actually have most of the lectins and we've been getting rid of them. It's so bizarre to hear it coming from a heart doctor and a heart surgeon because you see on the labels, the whole grains with the heart attached to it. And you have people from, I don't know if it's from the cardiac field that are proponents of it, or if it's good marketing or if it's lobbying or where, where that yeah. all comes from. What do you, what do you say to those folks? Well, so I was president of the Southern California chapter of the American Heart Association for two years. And I can tell you that that seal, that heart healthy seal is uh, sold. It is not awarded. Uh, for instance, just a, a humorous aside, the Florida grapefruit carries a heart healthy seal, whereas the California or Arizona grapefruit doesn't have the heart healthy seal because the Florida Grapefruit Association paid the American Heart Association $100,000 to get that seal awarded to them. Um, I just tweeted last week that a very sad uh, story in the British Medical Journal just published, uh, almost 100% of the officers and high-ranking members of the American College of Cardiology uh, receive significant payments from drug or device companies, and they sit in the positions of power. Um, not my data, it's published data. That's really so, unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so that it's, it's really hard as being in the public to get good, trustworthy information. Yeah, for instance, I mean, the, the statin guidelines, which was uh, put together by a committee from the American College of Cardiology and the American Heart Association, uh, originally eight members of that committee, seven of them uh, were on the payroll of statin companies. And quite frankly, it's really hard to get within guidelines uh, without the use of a statin. Hmm, I wonder how that came about. <laughs> right. Oh, it's, it's just dirty. It kind of makes you feel a little bit icky. What are the, the biomarkers? How do we know if we have leaky gut? How can we tell? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so Dr. Fasano from Johns Hopkins University was really, I think, the discoverer of how gluten uh, caused the leaky gut. And uh, he, was, he was actually researching uh, how cholera uh, made people have, you know, just explosive diarrhea. And uh, it turns out that cholera made this compound called zonulin, which broke the little tight junctions that hold all of our cells lining our gut together. And um, 
just fun fact, the lining of our gut is the same surface area as a tennis court inside of us. That's and, wild. Uh, yeah. And that the lining of our gut is only one cell thick. And the, yeah, just one cell between everything you eat, all your bacteria and you. It doesn't and, seem like enough. No, it doesn't seem like enough. So these, these guys are all held together. Uh, uh, are you old enough to remember Red Rover, Red Rover? Oh, yes. Okay. Well, kids don't play it anymore. No. It's too, too much dangerous. contact. Yeah, too, too much contact sport. <laughs> Who knew? Uh, so, so we're all locked arms. So these, these cells are all locked with what are called tight junctions. And what happens uh, is gluten, uh, which is a lectin, uh, is a sticky protein. And so it sticks to a sugar molecule that is on the lining of the gut. And it flips a switch and it makes a compound called zonulin and there won't be a test. And then zonulin hits another switch and it breaks the tight junction. So once that tight junction is broken, now more lectins can get through, bacterial particles can get through, other foreign proteins can get through. And on the other side of this one cell thick wall is 70% of our immune system, our white blood cells. And they're all down there because this is where the trouble's gonna come through. And that's what starts inflammation. Um, it's basically a threat level five. We're under attack and you know, marshal the forces. So anyhow, so Dr. Fasano showed that this in fact happened. Now, when people found that out, all of us rushed out and started measuring zonulin. You say, oh, your zonulin's elevated, you got leaky gut. Well, not so fast. It turns out that if zonulin is being made, zonulin sticks to the receptor for zonulin. So it turns out that most people didn't know that we shouldn't be looking for that. We should be looking for another molecule called anti-zonulin, so immunoglobulin that detects okay. zonulin. And we also want to detect whether this little, these tight junctions are broken so we can measure anti-actin, which is part of this tight junction. And lo and behold, when you start measuring anti-zonulin and anti-actin, there it is. So you can have these blood tests. There's other things to look for, but that's kind of where we start. You mentioned inflammation, and as a former football player, I was on a ton of anti-inflammatories for a really extended period of time. I mean, just to really deal with the sport itself. To, yep. So I felt like I could even get in a stance some days I had to be on anti-inflammatories. How does that factor in to leaky gut syndrome? Great. Uh, that's one of my seven deadly disruptors, the NSAIDs. So what, uh, again, uh, back when aspirin was the original NSAID, uh, aspirin was known to cause uh, stomach bleeding, stomach uh, ulcers. Mm -hmm. And so drug companies... I've had those. Uh, there you go. And drug companies said, well, you know, we can modify these molecules and we'll make them be absorbed in the small intestine and then they won't damage the stomach. And that's exciting. And what they didn't tell anybody was that instead of damaging the stomach, they actually damaged the intestines downstream. 
why didn't we know about that? Because our gastroscopes, those things that, you know, went, went looking down in your stomach for all those ulcers, can't get down into the intestines. So we didn't know what was happening. They knew what was happening and the FDA knew what was happening. And initially when these drugs were introduced, Motrin um, and um, Celebrex, for instance, yep. they uh, were a prescription drug. And there was a warning that you could only take them for two weeks because they were so dangerous. And now, of course, they're the widest used over-the-counter medication there is. And I began to see the effects of this uh, when I was increasing my autoimmune practice and young sports injury people would show up who had taken a lot of, you know, ibuprofen or, mm -hmm. or stronger and naproxen, you know, um, and they developed out of the blue an autoimmune disease. I mean, one day they're, you know, healthy young athletes and the next thing, you know, they've got rheumatoid arthritis or they got lupus uh, or they got Crohn's and they're like going- Goulain Barr or whatever yeah, that one is called, like, yeah. It's like, what, where did that all come from? You know, MS. And so and when I would see them and go, you know, anything happened recently? Oh yeah, you know, I had this injury, blah, 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 and you know, my, well-meaning docs you know, I've, been, I've been chewing these things like candy and son of a gun you're right um and so we said well and so i started looking at the literature and it's all there uh, if you just bother to look so i said oh my gosh you got leaky gut from this so sorry we're taking all this stuff away from you and sure enough their autoimmune disease went away just by taking out uh, these really nasty guys so I love the I love the reversal component of all this because having did what I did for a long time, a big part of why I ask all these questions is, you know, I feel like Humpty Dumpty sitting on the wall and I broke off into a million pieces. Now I get to talk to really smart doctors and figure out how to put myself back together again, right? And you know, there was a there's a Harvard former football players health study going on and it's an ongoing deal and they've got two or four, anywhere from two to 4,000 participants in these deals. And one of the facts sheets that came out to the players was the heart damage that is caused from high school to college weight gain. And then from college to professional weight gain, the damage happens and you're at an elevated risk of cardiac disease, regardless of current weight. I guess what didn't make sense to me in that whole deal and what was a little deflating was that it seemed like regardless of if I was in which I was 295 pounds, and now I'm at a 225, 230 pounds, which a lot of linemen that I know do that exact same thing, that it still doesn't reduce the stress that we caused on our heart and doesn't reduce the risk of heart disease moving forward. Do you buy into that? And it, what, what should we be doing? Well, the good news is that you absolutely can reverse heart disease um, with, with diet and with supplements. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, published a few years ago uh, a follow-up study of 12 of a thousand patients with known heart disease 
who have been on my program for 12 years. And the incidence of a new event, whether it's a stent, whether it's an MI, whether it's a um, bypass surgery, whether it's a stroke, in those 12 years was only 2%. Now, to give you an idea of how amazing that is, normally, if you had a stent or had a heart attack, in three to five years, you would have a 50% chance of having the next one, 50%. With optimal medical therapy, put you on a statin, put you on a blood pressure medication, and have you eat a healthy, low-fat diet. And so in 12 years, with known heart disease, we only had a 2% incident in 12 years of people following this program. That's not bad. <laughs> I'd say that's pretty daggone good. Yeah, that's, that's really tremendous. You mentioned fat. Where are you on the, on the fat argument, on cholesterol? Where, where do you kind of fall there? So quite frankly, cholesterol um, has very little to do with, uh, with heart disease, quite frankly. Um, the, the great Michael DeBakey, who I was just talking about this morning, uh, who was really one of the fathers of uh, vascular and heart surgery from, uh, from Houston, Texas, uh, DeBakey in the 50s, and 60s said, you know, I think cholesterol is an innocent bystander. And I don't think it has really much to do with heart disease. And I liken it to, let's suppose I'm uh, an alien sent down to orbit the earth and to report back to high command my observations. And one of my observations after standing around uh, floating above Los Angeles for years is that I'm pretty sure that ambulances cause car accidents because <laughs> every time I see an ambulance, there's a car accident. And so, you know, I'm pretty certain that the ambulance caused the car accident. That, of course, is a mistake of association does not mean causation. And DeBakey always said that cholesterol was basically an innocent bystander that got caught up in the inflammation on the vessel wall. And it was the inflammation that was the cause of the problem. And all of my research has actually confirmed what DeBakey observed. So um, cholesterol is the ambulance. And what we gotcha. got to we got to stop the car wreck. Reduce the inflammation. Right. How many people are because I hear so many folks now, and we talked a little bit about gluten earlier. Some so many people are gluten intolerant, gluten resistant, or celiac. I don't. I guess those no. would be the the kind of levels there. When it comes to overall lectins, how many people would have an intolerance? Another great question. So, um, and some of my critics say, "Well, wait a minute. You know, some of the healthiest you know societies in the world eat." whole grains and they eat beans and they're, you know, they're doing fine, which is true. But those societies have not been exposed to our massive amounts of antibiotics that we take or fed to our animals. And that has killed off our gut microbiome. Uh, number one, uh, we, believe it or not, our microbiome evolves 
to eat the lectins that we eat. And they're actually part of our major defense system. They're, you know, they're actually our uh, fearsome foursome on the, on the front line of defense. And what we've done is, you know, we, we've injured you, the first stringer, and the second stringer uh, doesn't know the plays, and he, he gets injured. And now we got the third stringers and the water boy out there. And so, <laughs> and, and so what would normally be a perfect defense system against these, for, for instance, believe it or not, there's a bug that likes to eat gluten. It really does. It says, oh, gluten, yum. They're not here anymore. So our defense system has been you know, just destroyed with that. Secondly, tons of ibuprofen, naproxen around causing holes in our gut. Third, normally acid in our stomach digests proteins, breaks proteins down, and lectins are proteins. So with the advent of Prilosec and Nexium and Protonics, these stomach acid reducers, we've lost the acid defense against lectins that would normally be there as well. And it goes on and on, but that's, so to say, well, look at all these, you know, healthy people in distant lands that you know, seem to tolerate these foods. Um, sure, because they have a good defense system, but good studies out of the Mediterranean diet show that grains and beans are actually a negative aspect of the Mediterranean diet that's compensated for by the positive aspects of the Mediterranean diet, like huge amounts of olive oil, like fish, like vegetables, like red wine. Um, so, but those are the cereal grains and the beans are the negative aspects. Yeah, so they've got overall a net positive where exactly. in, our lives, in our lifestyle, the way we live and the way we farm and treat our animals and all of that, we've got overwhelmingly a net negative. So our body's not capable of dealing with the lectins. Right. Plus, we've got glyphosate and Roundup. <laughs> and yes. Roundup is in everything. Um, it's, it's sprayed on all of our conventional grain crops. In fact, even um, the study of organic oats have glyphosate on them. And, you know, our two new, you know, vegetable burgers, you know, like Beyond Beef and the Impossible, Impossible Burger. Burger. Yeah. That glyphosate in them. So it's like, that doesn't sound like a good idea. Yeah, none of that seems like a great idea. It's funny you mentioned the oats because oats is the one thing that I really notice my stomach I, I get really bloated and really gassy and it's kind of for a number of days there. Yeah. And I guess oats, that, that may be partly yeah, the glyphosate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it could be the glyphosate, but oats also have a, a protein that cross reacts with gluten. And so uh, the vast majority of my people I see um, who are gluten free, but eating oats, get the oats away, get the quinoa away from them. Um, and things get better. It must drive you wild to hear all the crazes kind of come in, right? You got certain certain fads come in and out, and you must be sitting back going, "Oh my God, I've I got to speak louder. I've got to more people need to hear this." Well, you know, it's kind of it's kind of fun. I'll give you a cute story. I was I'm, I'm, 
I'm, I'm putting it in my next book. Um, my first book was called Dr. Gundry's Diet Evolution, and it came out in 2007 in hardcover. And I had writing in early 2000s. And so my editor, I had a whole chapter on time-restricted feeding, intermittent fasting, whole yep. chapter. And my Before editor- Before it was cool. Oh yeah, before anybody had even heard of it. And my editor says, you know, this book is so crazy already. This is nuts. And uh, I said, because I had been doing, I'd been doing, and I still do, during the winter, uh, from January through June during the week, uh, I eat all my calories in a two-hour window. So from uh, six to eight o'clock at night, I eat all my calories. So that 22 out of 24 hours, I'm fasting. And I've been doing this, this is my 18th year, just finished. So January through June. January through June. What does that two hours look like? What, do you, what will you have? So, um, well, for instance, uh, last night I had, um, let's see, last night I had clams and had some asparagus and had, what did I start with? Started with, oh, it's out. So that, and a glass of, glass of red wine. So that, there you go. That'll do it. That'll do it. But so anyhow, so my editor says, this is nuts. You know, this is just crazy. You can't have people, you know, intermittently fast. And, oh, that's nuts. And I said, no, 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 I'm telling you, you know, here's the data here. It's, you know, here's all the papers and I've been doing it. And she said, okay, I'll give you two pages. That, that's all you get. I said, no, it's a chapter. She said, no, I'll give you two pages. And so, um, and there's two pages in the book about it. And <laughs> so I saw her at a meeting this past year and uh, uh, my, my books are done with a different company now. And she came up to me, she said, you know, I, I should have given you that chapter. I should have known that you were so far ahead of everybody. I should have known you were right. She said, it's there in black and white. You, you, you said it, but you, you know, I didn't let you say it loud enough. Tell me about the benefits of intermittent fasting, because it's something that I worked into when I was losing all of my weight from the NFL. I kind of came up with my own program that was really designed around the restricted eating windows. It was, yep. and, and keeping my calorie consumption down through that and, and through kind of the other designs of the program. Any other benefits to intermittent fasting? The benefits are so huge uh, in every aspect of your life that my next book, The Energy Paradox, is devoted to convincing you that a normal lifestyle should be to choose to limit, choose a window of limiting your calorie consumption to a specific time period. Now, um, Dale Bredesen, who's become a friend of mine, wrote The End of Alzheimer's. Um, he thinks at the very minimum, you should have a 12-hour window of not eating, which is really easy to do. People who carry the That Alzheimer's, is very easy. That's really easy. I yes. think probably where most people should aim for is a six-hour window. Let me give you a great example in athletes uh, where... Uh, trained athletes who were doing resistance training were given one of two choices uh, 
One was the calories were controlled in both groups. The choices of foods were controlled in both groups. One group, they ate three meals a day. They all ate three meals a day, but one group ate breakfast at eight o'clock, lunch at noon, dinner at eight o'clock. It was an Italian study. Uh, the second group had breakfast at one o'clock, lunch at four o'clock, and then dinner at eight o'clock. So their window was compressed to a six hour window. And what they found was that the time-restricted group actually lost fat mass, kept muscle mass. Both of the groups gained strength. They were strength training. But probably the best news in the whole thing was that the group who were doing the time-restricted feeding actually dramatically dropped what's called insulin-like growth factor. Now, when you're trying to be a big muscular football player, you want a lot of insulin-like growth factors, yes. IGF-1. But as you age, the last thing you want is insulin-like growth factor. And one of the best markers for extended health span and extended lifespan is a progressive lowering of IGF-1. And so there's actually a couple of studies now that show that time-restricted feeding uh, is really a great way to implement that. And good news, there's even a study that says, okay, you're not going to do this every day of the year. You're not going to do this even for six months. Give me a break. So it turns out that if you only do it five days and then take the weekend off, just, you know, have a wonderful time, pig out, it'll be as if you did it the entire seven days. The 80-20 rule. Yeah. I mean, more or less. Yeah. So wow. that's good news. That's great news, yeah. IGF-1, that is associated with cancer? Okay. Yeah. Probably so, other, other all-cause mortality? Yeah, all-cause mortality, cancer in specific. Um, when I see an elevated IGF-1 in my patients, I, you know, I, I try to make them realize that this, you know, if they don't do something about this, we are going to be talking about their cancer. And I wish I could tell you how many people that that discussion came about. And I, I have an actor who always has had an elevated IGF-1 and an elevated insulin level. And I'm going, you know, um, this is going to bite you. I promise it's going to bite you. And this went on for three or four years. And next thing I know, he's on the phone and say, I've got prostate cancer. What do you think about that? And I'm going, what took you so long? <laughs> And, you know, it's like, well, of course you do. Right. Yeah. I hate to tell you, I told you. Yeah. Oh, goodness. I, where are you at on meat, eggs, dairy? How are they? How are they? Good question. Um, so uh, I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, and Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So um, they don't call <laughs> Nebraska the beef state for nothing. And actually, my parents were good friends with Omaha Steaks International. No kidding. So, uh, so I do eat 
Grass-fed, grass-finished beef. I yeah, the finished, the grass-fed, grass-finished is a very important component. Incredibly important because there is no labeling law that defines grass-fed. All cows eat grass at least one day in their life, <laughs> and you know, and you can feed a cow on grass one day in its life, take it to the feedlot, and still call it grass-fed legally. It's the same way with free-range chicken. The law was passed in 2007. You can keep a chicken in a warehouse with 100,000 other chickens and feed them organic corn and soybeans and open the door to the outside for five minutes every 24 hours so that the chicken has the potential to go outside. Now, anybody who's cared for chickens know that no chicken's going to stick their head out uh, just to get a breath of fresh air. And they couldn't get to the door anyway because there's, you know, 100,000 of them. Traffic jam. So that's the definition of a free-range chicken. And it gets worse. If the cost of organic feed doubles over conventional feed, the farmer can give these organic chickens conventional feed because they meant well. And I just, I just had a uh, veterinary professor on recently, and it turns out that you've probably seen that a lot of these natural chickens or natural animals have traces of antibiotics in them, which is now against the law to give to chickens and to other animals, except if the veterinarian suspects that one chicken is sick, that you can dose the entire flock because it would be too much trouble to go find that one chicken in the 100,000 chicken. And of course, the vet is paid for by a big agriculture company. So that's how these, there's the loophole. You can keep giving them antibiotics as long as the vet says, oh yeah, there's, there's definitely a sick chicken in here or there's a, chick, there's a sick pig in here. Good. It's the, it's the participation trophy of farming. We did it with good intentions or yeah. you've got the, oh, that's gross. So, that, that is so gross. So, so, you know, buyer, so buyer be, beware. Be mindful uh, of where you're sourcing your products is what you're saying. Correct. Now, I'm a big proponent of if you're going to eat dairy, um, and I do eat cheeses, um, that, and there are some, believe it or not, some health benefit from aged cheeses that I write about in the longevity paradox. Um, there, but you should get A2 milk cows. Now, most of our cows in America are casein A1 cows. Uh, A2 cows are, uh, A2 milk is present in sheep, it's present in goats. Most cows in France, Italy, and Switzerland are A2 milk cows. Buffalo mozzarella is A2. Uh, most of our mozzarella in the United States is not. So I do, um, I have a, a few people who, despite following the Plant Paradox program religiously, still may have a vestige of an autoimmune problem. And we do some further testing. And there are a few people, not very many, that do react to all forms of dairy, including whey, casein A1, casein A2. And a few people do react to eggs, both the yolk and the white. They're down on the list, at least in, in my patient population. 
um, but they do exist. So again, if things you know are going fine, for instance, on the plant paradox and you're feeling great, then we don't have to look any further. But if things still aren't perfect, then the next step is to do a full elimination diet, and that is get rid of dairy and eggs. And now I have been accused of actually prom of prompting the carnivore diet because if you think about it, all plants do have lectins, and in general, uh, animals don't have lectins. And so if you really wanted to avoid lectins, then you should do the carnivore diet. And quite frankly, I have nothing against that diet as a short-term elimination diet to okay. see. Um, but I think as a long-term strategy, first of all, there's absolutely no evidence of a society of long-lived humans following that diet. There's, there's, there's none. Um, and there ought to be one if it's that good. The other thing, which is scary from the Loma Linda research, and I have to always remind people that I am the only nutritionist who's ever spent most of their career living in a blue zone, Loma Linda, California. That's right. It's the only blue zone in the United States. <laughs> so what's important about the Loma Linda group uh, is that they've been studied extensively uh, by, uh, among others, Gary Murray. And what they found is that the... Uh, most Adventists are vegetarian or vegan. And then they kind of all kind of fall through the cracks. And so the vegans are, have the longest lifespan of the very long-lived Adventists, followed by the vegetarians. And then the chicken eaters and the fish eaters. But what they've shown is for any degree of animal protein that's added to the diet, you actually predict worsening heart disease. So am I a vegan? No, uh, I tend, I'm a, what I call a veg aquarian. Uh, I tend to eat vegan during the week and then eat fish and shellfish on the weekends, wild. All wild. All wild, yeah, don't, yes. please don't come near farm fish. And please don't get suckered into the organic salmon. Uh, these are, these are far, and you know, they got beautiful names like, you know, Norwegian organic salmon or Scottish organic salmon. It Make sounds, it sound exotic. Sounds wonderful. Yes. Uh, but it's organic corn and soybeans. Uh, and there's some really scary stuff that because these salmon are now primarily fed on soybeans, that they're, that their fats are no longer proper omega-3 fats, that the fat oh, ratio is bad. It's really bad, really bad. Yeah, man. Uh, last one, I love the idea of the vegan fast that you've been encouraging people on your Instagram to try. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Give me the benefits of the fast. Great. Of the, ve so, the vegan uh, fast. Yeah, so uh, Walter Longo, uh, who um, has become a friend, um, who's the head of longevity at USC and really one of the great researchers in, in longevity. He uh, realized that there's a lot to be said about calorie restriction, but quite frankly, calorie restriction isn't very popular because eating 35% less calories every day 
makes you skinny, cold, and irritable. Uh, and that's actually pretty much true. But what he found was, um, and I agree with him, and I've written about this in all my books, that there are certain amino acids that are far more prevalent in animal protein than in plant protein, that receptors that basically look at energy availability called mTOR uh, are sensitive to, and that if you remove these certain amino acids, then mTOR, which is one of our major aging sensors, plummets, and insulinic growth factor plummets. And so what he found, first in animal models, but then in humans, is that if you could get somebody to eat a vegan diet for five days in a row of about 800 calories a day, five days in a row, once a month do that, it would be the equivalent as if you were calorie restricted for that entire month in terms of reducing your cancer risk, in terms of lowering IGF-1, in terms of actually turning off a lot of uh, cancer genes. So, and I uh, promoted this in both of my, uh, the plant paradox and the longevity paradox. So it's, and you'll see in the energy paradox, the real reason that I think this works is, <laughs> as I talk about, it, it gives your mitochondria, the little energy producing organelles, uh, a spa week. They, they actually, <laughs> They actually don't have to do a whole lot of work. And as people will see in the energy paradox, we have just, we have been just you know, the worst bosses to our labor force, which is our mitochondria. We make them work, you know, 12 hour shifts, 24 hour shifts for most people without a day off, without a day of rest. And Quite frankly, they're calling in sick. And that's why the more we eat, the less energy we have. When's the book coming out? Book will be out right after the first of the year in 2021, probably, probably February. Great. We'll have to get our hands on it. Where can people learn more? So uh, I'm all over the internet. If I don't pop up on an ad, I've done something wrong. But uh, <laughs> so uh, GundryMD.com, DrGundry.com, uh, the Dr. Gundry podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I've got two YouTube channels, on Instagram, uh, Stephen Gundry. So hopefully you can find me. Better be able to find you. I found you. So, Doc, thank you so much. That was really tremendous. I, I learned a ton, and I know our listeners got a lot out of that. Well, great. Glad to have be on with you, Nick. And yeah. uh, so, uh, so and no more, no more NFL career. Come on, let's go. That's <laughs> eleven years was the end of the line for me. That's more than enough. It was. Uh, it was. It was just time to go. You know, you get. You just take a beating, play in center, all that weight. I mean, by the end of it, it hurt so bad on Mondays and Tuesdays. Just getting me to the weekend was quite the chore. And, you know, I still love the games and I love playing and I loved competing. And I, I really did enjoy preparing, but my body couldn't 
you just, you're not meant to do that for very long. It's a young man's game. And I got out at 33 and what a blessing to play that long. Yeah, I, I, I say it's a blessing now. I'll let you know when I'm 60, how I'm feeling. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, the, there's some interesting research that with head trauma uh, that glyphosate uh, complexes with aluminum and aluminum is unfortunately present in a lot of things and it makes our neurons um, less able to recover well after head trauma for instance and uh, so I think the more we all become conscious of glyphosate and the more we get this stuff you know out of us and out of our food. Um, for instance, in Europe, there are beginning to get bans on glyphosate. I think it'll go into effect in Germany this coming year. Uh, Belgium has banned it. Um, it's, it. It's supposed to be innocuous, but I can tell you it, it's far from innocuous. Yeah. And the aluminum, how do we get the aluminum out? Well, so one of the easiest things is please don't use any aluminum antiperspirants. It's one of the easy things to do. And don't use any aluminum containers to reheat things in microwaves. Okay. Um, use glass if you uh, keep things in glass containers. So those are a couple of easy ways to cut down on aluminum. I guess aluminum cans, if people aluminum are drinking. Cans, yeah. yeah, Hopefully not drinking much soda anyway, but hopefully, are, hopefully not. Yeah, find the bottles. Uh, right. what's, what supplements should people be taking? So uh, real briefly, uh, everybody should be taking vitamin D, uh, vitamin D3, and people should be taking at least 5,000 international units a day. I've asked all of my patients to double their uh, D3 during COVID. There's four human studies out now that show that vitamin D levels correlate to COVID severity with those with the lowest vitamin D levels having the highest risk and the highest severity of illness. And the highest vitamin D level have the lowest risk and the least severe of the disease. Um, vitamin D is essential to repair the lining of your gut and keep it repaired. Uh, about 80% of Americans are vitamin D deficient, uh, which is pretty sad. And even 80% of Southern Californians are vitamin D deficient. Um, even with all the sun, yeah? Yeah, because we wear sunscreen, which is, don't get me started on that. Um, <laughs> and then fish oil. It turns out that um, you want a you want a high DHA containing fish oil. And again, getting back to brains, our, our brains, uh, as, as any lineman in the NFL could tell you, is mostly fat. Um, so, yeah. That's right. Yeah, no offense. We're uh, not sure what the defensive lineman's brains are made of. Whatever's so, below fat. Whatever's below fat. But we're about 70, 60, 70% fat. And about half of that fat is DHA, a component of fish oil. And beautiful studies that I talk about in the longevity paradox is the higher the level of fish oil in your blood, and we can measure that, as you age, the bigger your brain and the bigger your areas of memory, the hippocampus. 
And the less fish oil, the more shrunken your brain is and the less areas of memory. So when mom used to say fish is brain food, she didn't know why, but she was right. She was right. So vitamin D and fish oil, super simple. Yeah, a good place to start. Oh, one last thing, time to release vitamin C. Okay. Take it twice a day. Okay. Okay. How much of that? So try to get about a thousand milligrams twice a day. It's, it's pretty easy to find. Yes. And we can, Dr. Go Gundry. In, we can go into a whole hour lecture on why you got to get vitamin C in you continuously, but that's another story. Doc, thank you. Great to talk to you. Nice to meet you. Keep up your great work. We look forward to your book coming out. All right. Thanks. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.